0: Hey guys, um, you may not know this, but I'm at Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm really quiet about it, haven't I? But yeah, I'm at Dropkick Murphy's Bar with and Johanna and Duffy Connors as the ticked boxes. And we'll be there every day until the 25th of August at 6.45. Um, however, before then, um, my guest today is Nick Everett and he is a stand-up comedian and we talk about character comedy how to take the skills from improv classes to stand-up and also the sitcom father ted so please welcome nick everett Hello, Nick Everett. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah,
1: tired, but yeah, good. Wonderful. What what have you been doing? What were you up last night? (laughs) Um, Yeah, just the first few days of the Fringe, really. Um, Yeah, yeah, in sort of early Fringe enthusiasm, probably flyering for more hours than I'll be able to keep up. Mm. Uh, And with some mild insomnia the first few days. But I think... I'm over all that now. So I can <laughs> that's good. That's good. Start to enjoy myself. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Um, as someone who's um,
0: done The Fringe before, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Um, what funny. advice would you give to someone that's never done it before?
1: Uh, right. So um, I did The Fringe y- last year doing a split bill um, free show. Um, this year I'm doing a, a solo I kind of pay what you want show right nice. so I have some experience not not a massive amount mm. um I would say that um there are certain things that are beyond your control like the time of day and where the where the venue is that will determine how easy it is to get people in yeah um especially uh for a free show it feels like most of the audience is kind of ushered in in the last ten minutes, yeah, in a wild dash, just yeah. shouting <laughs> free comedy in five minutes mm. at anyone who passes by um, so the your audience will just, will probably be directly related to how near you are to the center of things yeah um and and on the time slot um, uh, for advice, I guess uh it's just kind of knowing what you want to try and get out of it. Mm. Um, whether you're just looking for experience or um, you just want to learn how to put on a show Uh, and, yeah, focusing towards those goals, really. Brilliant. So what got you into comedy? So I started off through improv comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd lived in London for about two or three years, um, having moved to London for, for work. Um, I just found that once I'd kind of settled into work um, I didn't really have anything else going on so I was just kind of a bit bored in life generally. So I was looking for a hobby and improv seemed like a good one to do that would fit around work Um, because with my work I sometimes have to work late so you can't really commit to that much stuff in the evenings. Um, but improv works okay for that Um, and then through improv that kind of I met lots of people who did other kinds of comedy Um, I met a couple of people and we did sketch following on from improv and then through sketch um, I sometimes did kind of individual monologue type bits so that was my first sort of experience of solo comedy and from there I started doing a bit of solo character comedy and then I had the confidence to try stand-up comedy mm. in character, basically, because mm. I play a character in my stand-up. Um, so I would never have considered, before I did any comedy at all, I'd never have just jumped straight into stand-up because it's got a very fearsome yeah. reputation, which probably isn't deserved given mm. what the open mic scene is actually like. Yeah. Um, but then doing all the other sorts of comedy, it was like a gateway to getting into stand-up comedy. Mm. So what do you think you've taken from doing improv and
0: sketch, and how do you reckon you've been able to implement it into your stand-up?
1: So for improv, I don't really do that much sketch anymore, but for improv, um, what I like about improv is that um, the kind of the benefits and frustrations of improv are almost opposite to the benefits and frustrations of stand up yeah so by doing both of them you never get too jaded with any particular one mm. um so with improv for example you're playing in a team so it's really supportive it's very sociable because you're always performing with friends uh, it's always spontaneous so it always feels quite fresh it never feels um it, it never feels really stale. Um, but on the other side of the coin, it's more difficult than stand-up to kind of organize everyone together to mm. get gigs because you need everyone to be available. Yeah. Um, you you also can't kind of capture, when you have a really good improv show, you can't capture that and perform it again. No. Um, so, you know, it's all very fluid uh, and you can't sort of create something that can be formed, performed again and again and improved. But that's sort of where the fun of stand-up comes in. Yeah. Is that you can, um, you can work on jokes over a long period of time, work on a particular routine, making it better and better each of the like 50, 100 times you do it. Yeah. Then at the end of it and all, you've so. got, yeah, like a something really good, um, that you're confident performing. Mm-hmm. So, um. I guess the improv helps a little bit also in like um, being able to think quickly for like crowd interaction and that sort of thing. Uh, But the main benefit I think I get from doing both is that um, it just stops me getting bored. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair enough. Um, So, uh, what's your writing process like? So, so far, um, what I've done in my stand-up is I play a character who Attempts lots of different genres of comedy mm-hmm. um, and gets them all completely wrong as uh, a very deadpan character um, So so far my approach has been to sort of to identify a particular genre or a particular um, type of joke or like a, a particular form that jokes seem to take or even a cliche that I hear a lot in open mic um and then consider how someone might get that wrong by misunderstanding mm-hmm. uh why it's supposed to be funny um so for example for observational comedy observation should be something that everyone can relate to yeah and sort of everyone nods their head um when you when you say it oh, and they yes, share the yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> so what i would do is i would pick like I do observational material about something that's uh ludicrously obscure that nobody would would get yeah um now probably after Edinburgh I'm going to drop that gimmick mm-hmm. and just use the same deadpan character but performing not performing to that kind of really tight theme mm-hmm. so I think I will need to start branching out my writing process and kind of trying to take ideas from anywhere I can Mm. yeah okay
0: so who are your main influences in stand-up do you reckon
1: um I don't think there are specific stand-ups who I've based my style on Mm -hmm. um in terms of the ones I enjoy the most um I'm a big fan of um Steve Coogan Alan Partridge yeah. Yeah. and those sort of really exceptional characters and similar with David Brent I suppose these really great characters you can put in any situation yeah. have them talk about any subject and they'll just be hilarious just because of the way they are um and I also uh, really enjoy watching stand-ups who are kind of at the very top of their game and potentially are sort of the opposite of my style so people like uh, Peter Kay. yeah um and just seeing you know seeing a such a style that I could never hope to emulate but just enjoying seeing um the ease with which it looks like it's done yeah um yeah I also like uh, Stuart Lee um yeah I only really ever saw his stuff fairly recently mm mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm very messy myself. So yeah, know, that's job, right. Man.
0: Yeah. I think the last time I think the first time I saw you was at Funny Factors. Yeah, right? and that was when you were doing. I think you were doing one liners for a lot. Of, I think you were doing one liners yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. So are you still doing the one liners now, or are you or have you changed it a little bit for the Edinburgh? Show?
1: So um, I guess I've got like an opening ten minutes, which is one liners, fairly quick fire moving through lots of different genres of comedy um getting them all wrong sort of um i like that quick pace and almost teaching the audience what you're doing um but then for some of my some of the stuff later in the show it is longer bits like never anything longer than like three minutes or so Mm. um but yeah i've sort of been Been moving into those longer bits partly because I'm running out of genres. There's only like, there's only about five or six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've sort of gradually over time I've been moving into trying uh, longer and longer bits and just sort of learning how to maintain Mm. people's interests. Uh, It's probably the key is probably like peppering those longer bits with short punchlines in between mm-hmm. yeah so how have you found doing that in comparison
0: to the one liner jokes
1: um it probably it's a little bit more difficult to sort of maintain your confidence if you've got a fairly long bit where you're expecting the first couple of minutes maybe not to have much laughter, mm-hmm. but then with a payoff in the last minute. Uh, I probably prefer the, the the hard and fast one-liners, uh, but increasingly I've found the one-liners, the really good ones, uh, are so difficult to come up with. Um, really, really hard to get one that just works every time. But when you do, it's yeah, it's really rewarding. Hmm. Like cause there's people that can do it like quick fire, like Milton Jones. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But
0: that is I it's something that I I really admire it. Yeah. But a bit like you in the Peter K thing, I know that's something that I could never yeah. ever do <laughs> because that's just not how I'm wired. I just gotta be I've got to do the long form stuff. I yeah. can't I can't think of puns constantly like that. But um, going back to like Alan Partridge, it's really interesting that you mentioned him because he's as you said, he's been they've been able to put him in like literally yeah. any situation because he's a guy looking for a job. Yeah, right. so with the character that you got on stage, do you reckon that they, that that character be able to fit into any genre of comedy?
1: Well, I think my the character I play on stage is probably more, um, more of an extreme character than Alan Partridge. Partridge. Yeah, yeah. What what makes Partridge perfect is the fact that um, he is. Um, just believable enough that you you can imagine him existing. And then you get all sorts of real world examples of present presenters doing Partridge-esque gaffes. Mm. Um, But still weird enough that you can get a lot of comedy from him. Uh, I think my, the character I'm currently playing is probably only really fits um, in the the show I'm doing now with that very structured Mm. um, approach. So, Going forward after Edinburgh, I will probably be moving more towards rather than a character, just like a characterization, so a slightly mm-hmm. more exaggerated version of myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was gonna ask that's what I was yeah. gonna ask you next because a
0: lot a lot of stand ups say and I sort of agree with this, when you're on stage, you're not technically being yourself, you're being an exaggerated yeah. version of yourself. Yes. So how do you think you're gonna transition from the character to just being a characterisation of Nick Everett?
1: So I found as I've been doing uh, working on an hour show, um, I've included a lot more audience interaction Mm -hmm. um, and I've found increasingly that um, more of myself has naturally been coming through in the kind of back and forth of the audience. when I'm doing like a tight five minutes and I'm just doing the scripted jokes, it's very, very robotic. Mm. I'm just delivering the lines. Um, But with the hour, I think you've got to allow yourself a bit more time to Mm. be yourself. And so naturally, I've been performing a little bit more as myself. Um, How have you found it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been okay so far. I think when, what I will find difficult is once I drop most of my material Mm. post Edinburgh and start working towards, um, a slightly more conventional stand-up approach, I'll almost need to start from square one and learn how to tell jokes as myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I'll have to have to adapt to. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that sounds like a really
0: interesting process. Yeah. Um, do you reckon you might go on a writing course for that, or a comedy course, or do you reckon you might just do it straight from the open mic scene?
1: I'm going to do it on the open mics. I think. Um, that's. I think that's honestly one of the best ways to do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think probably I will try. Um, often stand ups will sort of get take an opinion mm-hmm. and try and make that funny. So that's probably what I'll try first is just taking some of my genuine like weird quirks and mm. opinions because we all have things about ourselves that are a little bit weird. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 Things that maybe we even, we 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 don't realize are weird until other people point it out. Mm. Um, so even, sometimes just talking about those can be quite funny. Um, so I'll probably do that just to get used to performing as myself mm. and I'll probably keep keep some of the um, sort of exaggerated deadpan style yeah. um, that I have already, just bringing a bit more of my own um, personality into it, I think. I'm not someone with loads of really big opinions that I want to share. No. Um, yeah, I'll just need to kind of... Learn how to adapt to this new style. I think. Yeah, yeah, but I think that'll be—I think that'll be a really interesting journey, to be honest. Yeah, and so, I, I hope having having had that background as the more extreme character yeah. will mean that I'm able to do slightly weirder stuff than you would get from a lot of standups. So, like, have you gigged a lot outside of London as well? Not a great deal, no. Yeah, mainly just in London.
0: Okay, so what do you think, how do you find the London scene as it is at the moment? Do you think it's in a good place, bad place, or do you reckon it's going
1: somewhere? So what I like about the scene in London is that um, there's so many gigs out there that you can basically gig as much as you want. You could get a gig every single night of the year, almost, Mm -hmm. if, if you were so determined to do so. That probably wouldn't be a good idea. But, no. Um, um, uh, I I sort of like the fact that there are bringers and non bringers because mm. they're, they're useful for different things. I usually like to trial completely new stuff to non bringers first. Yeah. Then test it in front of a slightly bigger audience mm. kind of bringers. Um, there's a few few bringer gigs that are sort of gigs that i've done a lot and they've always gone well and it's mm. always been a really fun night mm. so it's nice to have those kind of as close to a, a certainty as you can get yeah uh, those nights that you know you'll always be able to get uh, a good receptive crowd yeah. and, and an honest reception yes. and An honest
0: reception yes Cause there's a good reception and then there's an honest reception as yeah well. and you want a bit of both
1: right? yeah definitely um i yeah i i starting to struggle to find lots of um non-bringers that are kind of professionally run mm-hmm. um, cuz i i don't mind performing to just a room full of comedians the the problem is only if um if everyone leaves after they're set and you're left after spending a whole evening sat in a room oh, performing to two people oh that's the worst yeah i actually i yeah. cannot <laughs>
0: stand it when it's a room full of comics and they just yeah. leave halfway through yeah, it's like, yeah guys you i've sat through your rubbish you got to sit through <laughs> mine as well come on we're in this together supposedly yeah but um south kensington is now completely numbering off oh yeah yeah that's a really good and one, that man. always get, and a Saturday night that always gets
1: that always gets a good crowd yeah 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 it's, it's um, especially valuable are those non-bringers that get a crowd of real mm. people because even if you're at a bringer gig the guests um, they will quite often be comedians <laughs> or the, <laughs> the friends of comedians yeah. who are sort of there to be supportive so it's 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 probably a nicer more up for it crowd than you would naturally get maybe mm. you, you maybe need to do a bit less work to get get people on side yeah. so those non-bringing gigs where you get a genuine audience are very valuable to kind of test it in front of a a completely different audience really
0: yeah. i i think um I think it's great. That there's so many gigs in London, but I think that's also of its detriment as well, because if you gig outside of London, there's no such thing as bringing gigs. Yeah. Because there's even though yeah there's few there's um, there's almost just as many comedians there's fewer there's, few, there's few comedy clubs. Yeah. Right? But they're still easy to get spots on them, and the promoters don't find it as hard to actually get an audience. Yeah. Because there aren't as many. There isn't as much competition
1: yeah i have been not really gigged much outside of london i don't really don't really know what that's like mm. yeah apart from Edi- apart from Edim- apart from Edinburgh, apart from Edinburgh which is a law unto itself, really.
0: it yeah. really it really is like it's almost like being back at university again yeah for me and it's it's a real i really like i mean it's only four three or four days in and like I've, i' and i have this is my first fringe yeah but i'm really really enjoying it so far yeah um what's been your best gig and your worst gig so far you don't have to mention
1: names if you know uh right let's see um best gig so i think probably um one of my favorite gigs was pretty early on Mm -hmm. um at gmb um which is a really good gig, and it was probably the first time that I'd managed to get an audience to laugh like a, a reasonably sized audience to laugh pretty consistently for the whole five minutes um, and I'd been quite nervous going in just because i I'd, um, I'd mostly done non bringers up till then um, and it's sort of the first time I felt like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can do this now and After that point, it was more about kind of trying to improve rather than Mm. just getting over the nerves. Yeah. Um, In terms of worst gig, um, with my style, uh, which is a little bit niche, you can get audiences which uh, don't like it at all. Um, And probably the worst one was um, a new act competition, uh on the south coast, one of the few times i've gigged in portsmouth which is where i'm from um and the lighting was such that i couldn't see anyone's faces so it looked like the sort of the sort of crowd of black silhouettes that you might get in a nightmare oh god Um, and nobody liked what i was doing um so there was no no noise um yeah, and that was one of the one of the first times I bombed massively as well. Mm. Um, but as with anything in stand up, the more you do it, mm. the more you get used to it, the less you care about it. Yeah. Um, and I was quite new to doing solo, like solo shows. Um, but that's what I'm finding now is that each time you do it, you get less nervous about it. Mm. If it goes well, if it goes badly. In either case, you're less elated or distraught, it's, the more you do it, the more you're thinking about how you can improve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you recover from both a good gig and a bad gig? So for a good gig, um, you just like to bask probably. <laughs> Just bask a bit, a little little bit of hubris come in, (laughs) Uh, fantasize about becoming a great, uh, great famous comedian. Uh, For the bad gig, uh, I'll probably mope around for a while and think about getting rid of my whole back catalog of (laughs) jokes and starting again, which is almost what I'm doing anyway. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess I've I've always, I've been doing this three years now and I've always had this very deadpan character-based style and for that entire time, I've always had it in the back of my mind, maybe I should be doing something more mm. conventional. Yeah. Um, so anytime there's a bad gig, that's sort of, that's I've taken that as evidence that yeah. I should be doing something different. Um, but then again, I've had enough good gigs that I know that this, what I'm doing now is something that people have enjoyed. Mm. So it's worth sort of, it's worth enjoying it as well. Mm. Yeah. But like you also and you also got to remember that like even if
0: it's not conventional, yeah. doing the conventional stand up might just not be what you need, what you want to do. It's all yeah. about you feeling comfortable on stage and comfortable in what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I, I, what I what I aim to try and find within the next year or so is uh, the balance where um, I'm being conventional enough that. Um, everyone feels at ease but um, sort of weird and unique enough that I feel like I'm being allowed to be as creative as I want to be and I, I always want to be doing, I certainly would never do a joke that I don't find funny Yeah. even if other people did and I don't think I'd be capable of that either because no. I don't really have the sort of personality to pull that off so yeah I think it will be about finding the balance mm. yeah How do you reckon you'll start going about doing that? I think I'll just have to do as many open mics as possible. I mean, straight after Edinburgh for a couple of months, just throwing loads of shit at the wall and seeing, like, if I can find something, yeah, anything I think might be funny, try it out. Mm. Um, I'll just have to, like, hammer away at it, really. Mm. Yeah, just put in a few put in a few months, just going through the material, um, seeing what I can get out of it. Mm. So um, what do you think of comedy competitions? So I've done okay at the comedy competitions. Um, I got to a couple of finals. Um, The benefit of that for me has entirely been around what you can put on a poster mm. or flyer. Yeah. Um, and sort of, yeah, I'm not sure how many people actually take notice of those sorts of things and will come to your show because you've got like a laurel reef in it mm. a <laughs> finalist in a competition you've never heard of. Mm. Um, partly it's also about the confidence of like, you know, be, you've almost got a bit of evidence that you might be quite good and so you're yeah. more confident handing over the flyers to people. Um, I've found that I've done relatively well in the, the new act competitions because my stand-up style is very quick fire mm. and it, it fits quite nicely into five minutes. Um, but I, I can see why some people don't like them because it, it is a weird sort of, it is a weird feeling to be, to be judged. I mean, mm. you're, you're always being judged in a gig but usually you'll sort of go away and and reflect on the reaction you got in the room and just you'll be alone with, with your own recollection of yeah. it. Whereas in a, in a new act competition, it's almost, if you don't get through to the next round, you've almost got like proof that, mm. that you didn't do that well. Yeah. Um, and I can see how it might lend itself to a particular type of comedy. There's, there's slightly more quick fire, maybe less risk taking perhaps that would maybe be more successful. Um, yeah. Well, what did you think about? My, um, I've sort. I'm
0: coming around to, to yeah. it a little bit. Um, I did a heat this year. I can't I can't remember what the competition was called. Yeah. Um, but it was in Baker Street. So whatever gig's in Baker Street, whatever big gig's in Baker Street. Um, so I, I, I did well at the gig, didn't get through. Yeah. But that's perfectly fine. But my initial, my, my initial problem with it was that, it's sort of x-factorization the x-factorization of yeah. comedy and that i really disagree i really disagree with that yeah because it's actually i tell lot, i've done two competitions i forget i forget the one that one was actually a competition um i did a one heat in reading as well yeah and that was that was interesting but it was fine but yeah i just don't like the fact that you're the no matter what an audience thinks about you right your comedy is judged whether you're good whether you're so-called good enough yeah it's judged by three people who probably
1: don't do comedy themselves yeah yeah um yeah and i i think and i think in in the end um an x-factor style approach to comedy doesn't really work um because you you know as a comedian we already have our judges yeah every single time we gig mainly ourselves yeah ourselves and the audience um and, and that's all the feedback you really need in a way yeah yeah but I can also see
0: why it's beneficial because with that thing on a poster, yeah that can make people want to book you can get agents interested yeah and that's that's great so there's a real good side and a real bad there's a real good side to him but there's also just a side where it's just a bit it's just a bit sickening to be honest if I'm honest yeah
1: they are they can be weird gigs Hmm. um but I think um when you're new to comedy there aren't that many things that you can point to as proof of you know whether you're or not you're good Mm Hmm um because you won't be getting reviewed really no um but that's potentially another good thing about the new act competitions is the only times i've ever been seen and reviewed are as part of new act mm-hmm. competitions um, so i mean you're, you it is worth entering mm. even if you don't like the system and you disagree with it because yeah. there's if if it does go well you've got benefits yeah. from it and all you're risking is that you're going to have a bad, awkward gig. Which, yeah, which isn't isn't too bad, really. Well,
0: you got to try. Well,
1: what I've kind of learned is that you just got to treat it as a normal gig, and if yeah, they like yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Because that's what it is. That's what yeah. it is. It's just yeah. a
0: normal. It's generally just a normal gig. As I know, tonight they've got the um, the BBC New Comedian yeah. New Year Final
1: um, Finals. Did you enter it or did I did? I've I've entered it three times, and I've never been given a, a heat. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So yeah, that, um,
0: So what was I, I going to say? So yeah, I just think that they are. Yeah, I think it's really. I think the scene's just in a really interesting place right now. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that it's become. I'm seeing it become a lot more diverse yeah. than what it once, than what it once was. Um, what advice do you reckon you could give to a new comedian or someone that wants? To start to start stand-up comedy what advice do you reckon you give up? uh
1: well i probably for people who've not done stand-up before um certainly I, I had this vision in my head and and a lot of people probably do mm. of stand-up comedy as um you walk out on stage to a massive crowd <laughs> of <laughs> drunk old men and you're going to get heckled throughout i was terrified of being heckled when i did my first gig mm. but of course on the open mic scene more likely you'll be performing to a small potentially non-existent audience yeah no heckling you you don't get heckled um so i think if someone was thinking of trying stand-up i think i would just try to explain to them that open mic gigs certainly in london they're a lot more about learning and trying stuff Mm. as opposed to trying to entertain a hostile crowd yeah yeah it's nothing like what you'd imagine a stand-up Gig to be
0: no that's true though Because a lot of comedians or people who are thinking about starting they'll look at things like Live at the Apollo or yeah. they'll watch they'll look at fail compilations on you- yeah, yeah. YouTube and think that that's all it is Yeah. when it's not it's genuinely it's generally just for a, a maximum of 12 people yeah. in the back in the back room of a pub with a, with a dim light yeah. and, a mic- and a microphone that might or might not work yeah <laughs> And yeah, just trying your best basically. Yeah. Have you
1: tried any like, um, stand-up comedy courses? or? No, I've not done a course before. Um, I've done improv courses. Oh, okay. But you, um, you can't really just jump into improv. No. Because there's a lot of ground rules that you need to learn. Because you need to almost have a, a common language with every other improviser in the country mm-hmm. so that you can jump in and improvise with uh, anyone um for stand-up I've I've not really done it um I would imagine it if if it gives you the confidence to mm. then go and give it a try then it's yeah. certainly worthwhile but that's I've what, not done that, on myself that's what I did yeah like because I just needed sort of a
0: financial Im- I needed something to give me a kick yeah. in that direction yeah like, yeah okay you're doing this now you made a financial investment yeah just like this just like what we're doing now it's a finance, Edinburgh yes, is a, fin- it's a it massive is. financial investor. You're, you're paying for experience, basically. That's yeah. it. You're paying for a training camp. And this yep. is honestly <laughs> the best training camp I think we could have ever really asked for. Yeah. Because it's it's teaching you how to promote and market and all that kind of stuff, as well as perform yeah. to
1: audiences, to, on audiences who you've never met before. Yeah. And you can get such completely different audiences. Yeah. Between one day and the next. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that from last year. Yeah, some days, you know, on on the Saturday, you'd have a a full room who were really into it. And on the Monday, you'd have five people who groaned most of the way through. And you've got to learn to to deal with both. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's it. But I think that that's what doing this will help you with, won't it? Like, doing... Yeah. But I think it's kind of... Standard course is a weird beast. Because... Even though I've got a lot out of it, Kate Smurfway was, yeah. my, was my teacher. And she was great. Um, a lot of people that wanted to, a lot of people that started on the course, yeah. didn't end up doing stand up afterwards. Right. So and the, only per, and the only person, the only person I know, that I really know, of who's doing it, who I'm actually doing the show with in Edinburgh. Um, yeah. Other than that, they all just did it for self-con. They just did it for confidence reasons. Yeah.
1: They did it, which is which yeah, is fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah, I think if once, you, once you've once you done a few stand-up comedy gigs and the sheer fear and elation have gone away, mm-hmm. then it sort of dawns on you that, oh, this, it's actually going to be 10 years of grinding my way yeah. through these gigs yeah. evening after evening. Is that something I want to invest in for the small possibility of becoming a jobbing stand-up? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think it's easier to become a jobbing stand-up nowadays and it probably was back well way back when yeah because there's umpteen comedy clubs and yeah i think it's i I just love doing it to be honest with you (laughs) so what do you think um are the downsides to doing stuff or do you think the downsides to up comedy are
1: so the downsides um i would say are um uh let's say you do a bringer gig yeah um you are someone else's bringer so that they will be your bringer yeah then you do your 5 minutes and it's a bit of a damp squib doesn't really work you've basically spent two evenings proving to yourself that a particular bit of material isn't that great yeah Um, And when you think about, you know, you're trying to come up with a really great five minutes, potentially up to a really great hour, Mm. that's a lot of, a lot of time to invest. Yeah. Um, There's also the, the huge, like when it does bomb, it really does hurt and it feels quite, it feels very personal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think you've really got to have enough upsides, like enough good gigs to counteract those disappointments. Mm. But on the other hand, if it wasn't difficult, it wouldn't be anywhere near as rewarding. When that's it works. true. Yeah, that's true. So, do you tend
0: to take things personally when it doesn't go well? When it doesn't go well?
1: Well, I guess I know that it, I know that it isn't personal. Yeah. And with my style, particularly, I'm not being myself, and I know it's a slightly weird style.
0: Mm.
1: So some people won't won't like it, and I don't begrudge that fact necessarily but I think you can't help it can't help but feel a bit personal yeah when it actually happens it's true it's irrational but it does it does feel isolating almost yeah Uh, yeah because it is you on the stage exactly you're sort of giving everything and yeah putting yourself out there and when it it doesn't work it yeah it does hurt
0: even when it's not you even if it's not you
1: personally they're they're doing you're doing a character or characterization you wrote the bit. Yeah, you're saying, I think this is funny, I think it's funny enough to entertain you people and if that's not the case, then it, yeah, it does hurt. But then, at the same time, you could try that joke that doesn't work one evening
0: Yeah, and then try the next evening and it kills because it's yeah, absolutely bread.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But we're not at a stage where, well, I'm not at a stage where I've found my audience or i found my audience yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, because we're not, because 99% of the time we're performing to people who just
1: turned up yes yeah exactly um once you've like if if you've been doing it 20 years and you've cultivated yourself a following then it's gonna be it's gonna be easier to be really idiosyncratic Mm. about it
0: yeah yeah i love the notion as well by non-comedians that certain people just pop up out of nowhere yeah (laughs) (laughs) like mickey like mickey flanagan or kevin hart who've been gigging for absolutely ages before they were even allowed on TV yeah right they just popped there. apparently they just popped
1: up just on a, on a panel show out of nowhere yeah I think when you haven't done when you've not been involved in stand-up yeah um, you, what you picture the stand-up scene as is uh, performing to angry men in pubs or it's live at the Apollo yeah it's one no or the other between. and if you're not on TV you're a failure yeah um, but there's a I mean it's a massive Pyramid um, underneath all of that. Oh
0: yeah, of, you know, there's a there's like a massive upside down pyramid. There's like a massive mo- uh, there's there's growth under the ground basically.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of growth under the under the ground that people just don't see. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I was one of those people who saw, who saw it like that. Yeah, me saw, too. Yeah, I saw Rob Beckett one day uh, on out of house. I, I was like, oh, who is he? Yeah, like never seen him before he's not he's not um he's not john bishop or any of them. yeah who is it so yeah there is that but father ted yes hello so what
1: okay so who's your favorite character in father ted um favorite character i don't know if i have a favorite character i think um i think it's just the way the way it all interacts together Mm. um you know it, it would be difficult to say my favorite character is Ted because he's a straight man but yeah somehow all the the funniest stuff happens to him yeah because that's how the show works basically that's right yeah
0: um I think my favorite character is the tea lady oh yeah Mrs Doyle Mrs yeah. Doyle yeah she's just I mean I yeah she's a catchphrase character like, yeah but she does it so perfectly yeah. and she is just hilarious yeah. to watch <laughs> And um, I like Adler Hanlon in absolutely, in absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, and also, Father and Dougal as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so do you think that they could set, like with today's political climate, do you reckon that they could do Father Ted today? Well... As it was, as it was back then.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not, really. Um,
0: or with everything going on with the Catholic Church, that's what I meant.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that would stop them necessarily, um, because it's sort of, it kind of pokes fun at the Catholic Church. Yeah. But in a way that seems, I mean, I'm not Catholic, so I, I mean, evil. Uh, in a way that seems sort of fair. Yeah. Um. And. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that's, that's come out about the Catholic Church recently has sort of been known about for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's, I, I don't recall anything that was in Father Ted that would be massively um, controversial today. Yeah. I think, I think the fact that they've made, um, the fact that Ted is basically, in a lot of ways, quite a reasonable, intelligent guy. Yeah. Um, that sort of means that it gives them license to make the other characters kind of weird, grotesques. And yeah, it doesn't seem like offensive that that would be the case because you've got the straight man there to kind of to, to hold things together. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. And the setting is—I think the setting of it being on a really small, really small island, yeah. isolated island in Ireland, funny enough. Yeah, like is genius because he's sent to this he's sent to this
1: monastery to sort of help out isn't to sort of help out isn't he yeah i I think he's basically been banished there yeah um, because it's a a backwater um yeah and what what i like about the the setting is i I think this is maybe the case with a lot of really good british sitcoms is you've got a kind of a status quo which Mm. is quite isolated like quite a grim situation that the protagonist can't really escape from um and you've got a protagonist who's sort of um quite smart but also arrogant so it doesn't feel like punching down when bad things happen to them and they need sort of taking down a peg or two then you've got the weird characters around them um which i think is is sort of you know, it's, it's the same setup in Fawlty Towers, for example, yeah. um, Black Books, um, yeah, even The Office to an extent. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really good, like, classic British way of doing sitcoms. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the story never advances. The status quo is always the same. Yeah. You just have a different funny thing happening each time. Um, and I, I really like that. I'm not really into comedies where there's a story that much. Hmm. Um I find with a lot of those ones like especially some US ones um when there's a story and the status quo is changing um it is always driving towards an end point where everyone is happy and they're all in like they're all in stable relationships mm. and it's no longer funny because yeah. everyone is really happy. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah father ted it's a horrible situation same in the first episode as it is in the last one yeah
0: um i like what you said about the main character again the main character comeuppance because yeah you're completely right like the that kind of character if he was an if he was in america if, Ameri- if it was an american sitcom yeah. he'd be seen as sort of the hero of the yeah. story the whole time when he's not he's 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 a buffoon he's yes. an idiot yeah and the people who are supposed to be the idiots around him are actually a lot more socially and more, uh, yeah, a lot more socially
1: smarter than he is, but yeah. he's too up himself to realize that, yeah. Like, Dougal's probably the, the happiest person in the world, yeah, because you know, ignorance is bliss, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Whereas with Ted, because he's kind of arrogant and money grabbing, yeah, um, even though you do like him as a character, yeah, you, you know, you don't feel too bad for him when he gets humiliated yeah, yeah. but that's
0: a, i think that's a very british way of doing comedy, yeah. though. yeah because we do like to see we like to see someone win however we also like to see someone who thinks they're amazing yeah get taken get down and yeah, get <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> whereas the americans like success yeah so. exactly they like success yeah. but that wouldn't work for i don't think that would work as well for british audiences yeah so. And I think that, and I think they're sort of started to cotton onto that because yeah. they're remaking everything that we make. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nick. So, as we done, I've got to actually sort
1: of get ready soon. All right, because I've yep. got to go and fly. Cool. But where can they see you? <laughs> where can they see you? Right. So my show is called Nick Everett: The Deconstruction. It's on at four fifty-five at the Caves, uh, just the spare room. Oh. Uh Every day, other than the twelfth. Ah, oh, fantastic! And where can they find you on social media? Uh, so, on Facebook, you can find me at Nick Everett Comedy, and on Twitter, at Nick Everett. Ah, oh, that was absolutely wonderful, man. Thank you very much for coming
0: sir. up. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, you can catch me on Twitter as you, as at your boy Gibbo, um, on Instagram as at GibboGram1, and as always, you can catch myself, Charlie Jahan, and Duffy Connors as the tick boxes from... Today until the 25th of August at Drockit Murphy's at 6:45 p.m. All right, guys. See you soon.